welcome to the Big Kids Book Club. A podcast about all things fictional, from middle grade to young adult. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Hey, 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 welcome back to another episode of the Big Kids Book Club. My name is Marcus and I am your host. And join me on the show today, we have author of the Seafire Trilogy and the brand new The Devouring Wolf middle grade novel coming to you live from Penguin. It's Natalie C. Parker. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Absolutely. And if our audience hasn't already guessed, you are American in the USA. So it's so awesome. I keep doing this. When we start this podcast, we just wanted to chat to local UK authors, and now we're like blowing up and talking to people all over the world, and it's super exciting. So we are ecstatic to have you on today. Oh, thank you. I um, I love talking to UK readers and listeners. My sister actually lives in Oxford and has for I don't know the past decade. So um, any excuse to like hop over and chat is great for me. Absolutely. Oxford, lovely part of the world, especially part of the UK, lovely part of the UK. But we want to get to know you rather than Oxford. Uh, So let's get to know Natalie. Natalie, let's dive into a bit of your writing journey. Do you want to tell us a bit how you got into writing, maybe some of the highlights uh, from where you started to where you are now? Oof, that's a big question. Uh, I have been writing and publishing since 2014, my debut novel came out in 2014. It was called Beware the Wild. And it was this like really um, gothic Southern story about a small town in Louisiana with a strange swamp in the middle that, um, you know, maybe occasionally eight people or turned them into gator girls and gator boys. And um, it was sort of tossing back to my roots. Uh, I don't sound like I grew up in the deep South, but I did. And my entire family is from uh, Southern Mississippi. So uh, my, my writing journey started there and it started with my deepest Southern roots. Um, And then it kind of, it morphed into something very different with the Seafire Trilogy, which was an exciting um, ode to Mad Max, like all the things that I loved about Mad Max Fury Road, but on the open ocean um, and sort of dove into other parts of of my life and uh, the world that I love, namely the ocean. I'm a scuba diver and a sailor. And now I have broken into the world of middle grade, which is a place that I've always wanted to be as a writer, because it's a place that I feel like I started as a reader and has always taken care of me as a reader. And now I'm surrounded by nieces and nephews who are the perfect age for reading middle grade. And I'm, I'm doing my very best not to shove this book directly into their hands. So I guess in that in that regard, with all those family members, you're almost like the alpha in the far in the fact of like getting in middle grade <laughs> here. Sort of as as the analogy will make a lot of sense because the devouring wolf is about werewolves, and I instantly love that because there are frankly not enough werewolf books. I have to agree, and that's exactly why I wrote one for young readers. But I think it's really interesting because of like popular culture osmosis. The when we associate werewolves, I think we all go to Twilight up in like Oregon or Washington State, wherever that was supposed to be. And you think of that sort of rugged terrain. You're 
uh, werewolf pack all reside in Kansas, which I believe is sort of the state you're you're currently living in. So it yeah. kind of almost feels like maybe again you've immersed yourself in in your current home and sort of your landscape and stuff like that. But the devouring wolf. Do you want to tell the lovely listeners who are sort of eagerly telling me to shut up and get on with it uh, <laughs> what this book is about? Do you want to give us a little teaser? So the devouring wolf is about a werewolf community, as you said, in Kansas. There are werewolves around the world, but but we're in Kansas. Um, and in this community, every child will shift into their werewolf form for the first time, sometime between the ages of nine and 12. They know that it will happen on the first full moon of summer, but they don't know which one. So there is a little bit of surprise and anticipation baked into this first transformation. Um, and so the story follows Riley Callahan, who is eagerly, eagerly anticipating this first full moon of summer because she is 12. And so she knows without a doubt, she's definitely gonna transform this year. Um, but of course there are other things at play. Uh, as the title suggests, there is a big boogeyman, the devouring wolf um, is sort of rising up and going to put a, throw a wrench into all of Riley's hopes and dreams and plans. Absolutely. Now. We're going to get into some spoilers, but we're going to leave it mainly spoiler free because we don't like to ruin it, let people go in there. But we have to touch upon something. So the first thing I noticed is when I got into the first opening chapter of the book, we're almost straight into that transformation night, aren't we? We're almost straight into the ceremony. And yeah, I think it's even, it's even spoken on the back of the book, so it's not really a spoiler. Yeah, Riley, yeah. Riley doesn't transform. She doesn't right. become, become full wolf. And I have to admit that she's not alone. There's there's five of them. So it's um, Riley, Donielle, Lydia, Kenva, and Arkeley. Araceli. Araceli. There you are. I was calling it Arkeley in my head the entire time, <laughs> and I knew it was wrong. But um, Araceli. So these five all get the whole sort of like like big. Eh, eh, you're not transforming this year, and they're all of that age of twelve, which is really like if you don't transform by twelve, you're not going to. Mm-hmm have to admit when I read that I had some proper Encanto vibes but with a werewolf twist I don't know if that was intentional but I w- it had that sort of vibe you know when she touches the door and her door doesn't transform and she should have yeah. that's what I got with Riley I well number one I'm glad because I love Encanto and number two I mean I wrote this book three years ago now so um all of that was in place long before I ever saw Encanto, which I just did this past June. I watched it with my nephews who are obsessed with it. Um, so I think that it really it really speaks to something that is key to the experience of growing up, which is one of the reasons that I wrote this book in the first place. But um, what I was going for there and what I think Encanto is after is sometimes growing up happens differently for you than it happens for the kids around you. And um, that can be really hard, especially when you're in that age of wanting to be a grown up and wanting to experience the things that you see everybody else experiencing and waiting for your turn. You're waiting for your turn. And then when it doesn't happen, oh, that hurts. And also you then you have to and also get to explore a different way of being and becoming. Um, And that was really at the heart of why uh, Riley and the rest of them don't transform on that on that night, at least metaphorically. In terms of the story, there's another reason at play. (laughs) 
Absolutely. We get onto that later. And it's it's interesting because you're right there. It's a sort of very human condition. I think maybe it's because of the world we live in now. It's that sense of FOMO, fear of missing out. It has become part of everyday life, whether it's have you got the latest phone? Have you got the latest clothes? Are you riding the latest trends? If you are a young reader or just a young person and you're sort of on the outside looking in, it is a awful feeling that you are somehow wrong because you're not in this lane that you're supposed to be in. And, you know, it's one of those ones that I do agree. It's the feeling of not fitting in and then having to believe in yourself. And that's really the journey. And there's a beautiful sort of like synergy underneath the story there that readers will get to discover themselves. And it's such a, it's, it's so beautifully woven into the book. But the other thing I really want to chat about is the way you blended Grace's diary, because there is a diary in the story and I loved it. I thought it was so clever. So tell me uh, about the diary. When did it come into the, the plot and the writing journey? Was this something early on in the development of the story? Was it something late on? Because Grace's diary was just sort of chef's kiss in the way that the, the book just developed. Oh, uh, well, thank you. Um... The Diary of Grace Barley is, I guess, it was a really late edition. And this was part of my mm, <laughs> creative struggle to try to figure out how do you create tension for a middle grade story when the kids can't know, they can't have all the pieces of information. And in fact, the story becomes a little bit boring if things are just like offered to them or if they're constantly going to the library or the archive in this case to dig up information, which is a piece of their journey. I do, I love that the kids are trying to puzzle this out for themselves. Um, but there were just certain pieces of it because what they have stepped into is a has its own vast history and a history that connects to some of the first wolves that were here in Kansas and some of the first wolves that arrived in um, the new world, so to speak. So there was a lot of mythology, history, legacy, trying to unpack truth from fiction. And one of the ways that I that I found to do that, and this came at the suggestion of my very good friend, Julie Murphy, who was reading one of the last rounds. Um, and I was, I was expressing to her how frustrated I was by not being able to offer more information because the kids wouldn't have a natural way of knowing it. And uh, it was her suggestion um, to use the diary. You know, she said, you have this diary, it's on the shelf. And at that point, the diary was just sort of like there, um, but they didn't actually get to read it until about the same point in the novel when yeah, it's, never mind, I'll back off of that because <laughs> that's a spoiler, but the diary is there. It always was there uh, and adding little snippets of it to, to give readers just enough information so that what the kids were experiencing had another layer so the kids might not know it but but the readers did um so yeah late edition but it was one of those things that blew my mind as a creator and uh, storyteller and uh, really helped draw all of the pieces together and I remember it was like around Christmas and I just went into this like fugue state <laughs> of needing to to very quickly revise this novel again because we were trying to get it into copy edits and you know when there's that production pressure then everything else is 
everything else is also pressure. <laughs> um, but that's how that happened. We went quite deep into the plot there. So uh, there's going to be something, if, if you get your hands on this book, it is out now. So check out your Barnes & Nobles, your Waterstones, or your friendly local bookshop, grab a copy. Because um, it, it's just such a great sort of like narrative device. I was just like, this is so cool. This is such a brilliant idea. And I'm like, how have I not seen, again, it's like the whole thing. Why am I not seeing enough werewolf novels? And why am I not seeing enough magic diaries? Um, so we'll leave plot alone because we're getting very skirting the uh the sort of spoiler zone right now so let's dive into setting i love the setting and i don't know if it's because being over here in the uk i love exploring the world through my books and obviously the whole sort of like um pack grounds of sort of wax and wanes the clawfoot uh cottonwood hollow all of them were so lovely and i felt so immersive uh not just because uh one of the 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 two sort of like owners of the place uh is called Marcus, which when I find a Marcus in a book, <laughs> I get excited because I rarely find other Marcuses. So when I find a Marcus in a book, I'm like, oh, goody. Um, <laughs> it was really interesting to just feel that way. And obviously when you're building a slightly you know, unique werewolf sort of community and sort of folklore, I wonder how much you delved into actual ancient werewolf sort of fairy tales, folklores, mythologies, like where did you do your research and how much did you blend into creating sort of the, your own little mini universe? I wanted everything in this book to be in conversation with some piece of werewolf, werewolf mythology that I had grown up with, or, um, you know, that I think is pretty common because werewolf mythologies are very different around the world. Um, you know, there's like a story if if somebody who's pregnant dies and a wolf jumps over their grave, then they'll turn into a werewolf. Like it, these come out of like Eastern Europe and, and there's a lot of different origin stories for werewolves. So I needed to make sure that I had one for myself that um, felt like could be related to what we actually know about werewolves, but maybe is a little bit different. Cause I think that's the cool thing about mythology and stories. Um, and that's what Riley kind of tells you at some point early on in the novel is that most of what normal people actually know about werewolves is a little bit true, but just a little bit wrong. Um, so for example, going back to, you know, she expects to transform on the first, first full moon of summer. Um, and that obviously comes from werewolves traditionally in our storytelling, uh, transform every full moon. But uh, as I was creating this community and thinking about what would make them a viable community and what they would maybe try to change for themselves, that forced transformation became key to what I was doing with the whole community itself. So there is um, a wolf known as First Wolf who a very long time ago cast a big spell because she uh, was friends with a witch and they cast a big spell that allowed them to untether wolf magic from the moon. So now the only time they transform on the full moon is their very first time or if they want to. <laughs> so there are a lot of pieces of this mythology that are just in conversation with things that we already know. Um, and as for landscape, there is an entire, I have like a notebook full of how the wolves came to be in Kansas that will just never make it onto the page. 
Um, and it had a lot to do with, okay, when was Kansas even settled? And when um, was Lawrence in particular, which is my hometown, when was Lawrence settled? And how would wolves have dealt with all of this like bloody Kansas history? And um, how would we deal with different racial groups being wolf packs in different parts of the country? So there's like an entire network and webbing of how wolf culture and society functions. Um, that <laughs> if I get to do more in this world, will will come out, you know, little by little. But the kids are not exactly thinking about um, wolf politics on that level every day of their lives. And, you know, what do the northern packs think versus the southern packs and city packs versus country packs? <laughs> um, uh, and there's just there's a lot of differences in how all of the wolves have chosen to live. But um, it's there. It's all there. Wow. You know what? When you see some of those uh, sort of like uh, charts or graphs and you, they show like the tip of the iceberg and you see like, oh, this is the finished product. Everything under the water, like you just got an entire just all of this propping it up. That's incredible. It's it's necessary. I find uh, if you're going to write a book, even a middle grade book where you're like, oh, it's it's just for young readers. And maybe we don't really need to know the answers to all of these questions. But asking the questions and then knowing the answers, I think, makes writing the book so much easier because the world then feels very rich and real and rooted. And, you know, anytime I encounter a character or something, I can just go back to the history that I've been developing for the wolves and find an answer for that character there or, you know, a reason for them to do X, Y, or Z is already baked into the world itself. Oh, that is absolutely smashing. And I think that will probably lead on to uh, another question later. But yeah, I really, I just really felt it was quite a cool one with the, the whole hunting grounds and all the other sort of places. Just felt really quite alive. And I wondered how much of that sort of, much more than I ever could imagine being baked into it. Um, but not only does that immersive world sell it, let's face it, the cover, let's take a moment to talk about the cover because holy damn, that is a pretty <laughs> ass cover. I know. I was so excited when they sent me the sketch. Um, and, you know, in, in early sketches, when you see it, it's like, here's sort of like a scribbledy dribbledy, like kids, a pack of kids, and they don't have any features. They're just like there. And maybe one of them is holding like a litho stone and it's glowing. And then there's smears of color and the general shape of something behind it. But even in that state, I was like, oh, I won. <laughs> I won the cover lottery. Because <laughs> I was going to say, actually, because uh, some authors do get to be like, well, it'd be cool if it had sort of X, Y, and Z on the cover and stuff like that. Others, we've spoken to some authors where they're like, hey, uh, if we had this cover artist, that'd be pretty cool. And they they sometimes get what, uh, you know, maybe some of their suggestions listen to. Others, like you say, it's almost just like, you know, like, fingers crossed, like, please be, please be, please not be ugly, please don't be ugly, something like that. Um, so it's interesting. Did you have much say in, in what you did? Did you, were you able to say like, it'd be cool if the whole cast or not the whole cast, but the five main cast were there and whatnot? Yeah. So they did actually, they sent, um, I think I got to see like four or five different perspectives. And so there was one where, you know, you were kind of looking up at the kids and that looked really cool. And then there was one where you're looking down on the kids through the forest. And that was also very cool. So I got to weigh in on which one I thought 
um, felt the most dynamic and right for the story. And then they asked me for um, descriptions or, or, you know, visual representations of each of the characters. So I got to weigh in and say, no, this character should have shorter hair. Could she be wearing a jacket? Could this character have this kind of expression? And so they did um, really work with me to make sure that the, the five kids on the front are very representative of what I wanted them to be. Um, but other than that, I mean, the artist nailed just everything. There's even on the front cover, if you look in one of the corners, there's a tree and it has uh, thorns on it. It has little thorns all the way down the trunk, which is a small detail that is early in the book. But Riley points out this honey locust tree that is kind of marks the 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 edge of Wax and Wayne lands. And um, these are trees that grow all over Kansas. They are like full, beautiful trees, but their trunks have three to five inch thorns on them all the way up. They look like, I don't know, giant rose stems or something. Um, and he put one of these on the cover and that just that just warmed my my Kansas soul. I was so, so happy because <laughs> I love these trees and I just you know, sometimes as a writer, you put a very small detail into something because it's important to you or you just, you know, you're taken by it. And then to have an artist like yoink it out of the pages and then plop it down on the cover makes it feel very synergistic and right. So that was that little piece of the cover, which is like tiny in particular, makes me smile. Absolutely. And you know what made me smile is we were having a quick chit chat before we hit play on the podcast. And we were talking about potentially a Devouring Wolf 2. Do you want to tell us or if you can tell us anything about it? Because I think a lot of people who if you've already read this because this came out 2nd of August. Mm -hmm. So if you've already read this or if we've now convinced you to add it to uh, your next TBR wish list. Uh, it's going to be one of those ones that people I think will be very eager to sort of get their hands on swiftly afterwards. I, I sure hope so. The, the second one is called the nameless witch. And it is a little Easter egg from book one. Um, And I just saw the cover sketches for, for the nameless witch. And I am, I couldn't be any more excited about it. I think it's going to be such a beautiful comparison to the Devouring Wolf, but the Nameless Witch, what can I tell you about this? It, it will dive into another myth that the young wolves are familiar with, that of the Nameless Witch. And, and she is a, a mythical figure who wolves say, if she learns your name, that she can control you and she um, gains power over you once she has learned your true name. Um, so I guess book two starts when they hear that a new Nameless Witch has been chosen and uh, the wolves are a little nervous or maybe a lot nervous they're not happy about this news <laughs> but more importantly riley and the gang are going to be back so if people do fall in love with this this group of crazy chaotic characters uh Doniel, i think was probably one of my my, my sly favorites i did like Doniel. um <laughs> it's gonna be like something more for them to get on all five are coming back and we're gonna have some fun with them again yep absolutely 
Oh, fantastic. Well, uh, we are quickly running out of time, unfortunately, Natalie. So it's going to be quickly moving on to the, the sort of final little part, which is apart from Devouring Wolf, book number two, is there anything else that you have currently coming up on your writing desk? Anything that you're excited to talk about or anything you can't? I There are like literally five things that I cannot say right now. And I'm, I am excited about all of them. They're all in sort of different spaces in the publishing sphere. I guess I can say that I have a couple of YA projects um, that are, are coming up next. And I can't believe I can't talk about them, but they haven't been announced. A couple of YA projects, uh, perhaps an anthology. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar, but I worked on an anthology with my friend and co-editor Zoraida Cordova. It's called Vampires Never Get Old. Um, so I'm always looking for my next anthology project. And then there are a couple of other things I, I really, really, really wish I could share with you right now and cannot. <laughs> but in the coming weeks, I hope that it will just be like announcements galore. You'll get tired of my name. <laughs> well, we can only hope so. We can only hope all good things coming to us and all good things also come to an end just like this podcast oh natalie it's been fantastic to have you on the show thank you so much for turning up thank you for having me this has been amazing i love talking about my books absolutely and so have we now before i do let you completely disappear can you let our lovely listeners know how they can find out more about you and your books do you have a website or a social media they can go to Sure thing. It's nataliecparker.com. That's where you can find everything about me. Uh, I do have a Twitter, but I'm rarely there. So you're, you're more likely to find me uh, on Instagram where I am NC Parker. There you go. And lovely listeners, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can go check out The Devouring Wolf in all your friendly local bookshops, Barnes and Nobles and Waterstones right now. But while you're online, don't forget, you can head out and find out more about us and our content at our website, bigkidsbookclub.com. There you find additional reviews, previews and over 150 episodes of the Big Kids Book Club podcast so if you are just finding us you have more than plenty of episodes to keep you going until the next full moon but that's all the time we have for this week so until next time all i have to say is for you to take care to stay safe but most importantly to keep on reading